All right, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here, and uh, joining me on the program now is the uh, congressman from North Carolina's 13th District, Ted Budd. He's also a candidate for U.S. Senate. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Pete, it is great to be with you. Thanks for the uh, Led Zeppelin opening there. <laughs> well, it's... Uh, to be to to be perfectly you know clear like that's that's my theme song so I didn't play it just for you I played for everybody it's <laughs> but uh, I do get compliments yes it's one of my favorite songs so um, and kind of in I, I actually chose it I don't want to go down the rabbit hole here but I chose it because of like the lyrics uh, if it keeps raining the levee's going to break it's sort of a metaphor and. Like, honestly, like for our times, for current events, it does seem like that. <laughs> it does seem like. Yeah, you know, I mean, when you try to jam six more trillion dollars worth of debt into <laughs> our economy, when is the levy going to break? I think people are asking that question. So what, do you have an answer? You know, it, it, we thought it was a long time ago. That shows you how strong and resilient our country is. But you don't want to test it. Look, this is foolish. You've got, uh, you know, the, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. But the, in Washington, the root of all evil is modern monetary policy or modern <laughs> monetary theory, yeah. where you can continue to run these uh, government printing presses and expect no consequences. Look, you've got people out there that are listening to your show right now, Pete, that are on fixed incomes. And the cost of living is going up, up and up. And it's just squeezing people left and right. Uh, you know, they don't think inflation uh, uh, hurts people, but news to the Biden administration, um, it's putting people on the ropes. Yeah, it's the silent tax. Inflation is a silent tax. Uh, yeah, people. It's a form of theft. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, let me, uh, I, got, I got a couple different topics I want to uh, hit you with. And I actually just saw this one on Twitter. So um, this is what David Chipman, the guy that was nominated to lead the ATF, I guess, good news here. It's great news. There's good and bad news. Uh, first of all, I get to do the Second Amendment for the living for a living in two different ways. I own an indoor shooting and training center up north of Winston Salem, have for the last uh, 11 years. So that's uh, that's been my business that I've owned, and uh, you know I get to protect the Second Amendment also um, in Washington D.C. And David Chipman was anti Second Amendment, against uh, gun rights. Uh, the Biden administration has pulled his nomination to be director of the ATF. That's good. The bad thing is somebody uh, off the record has said they're going to land him somewhere else in the administration, of course. somewhere in the ATF that doesn't go through Senate approvals. So it's bad that they're loading up the administration with those types of bureaucrats. This is what Trump called the deep state, I assume. Well, absolutely. Uh, look, it was, a, it was a hard word to say six, uh, five years ago, but now we realize, oh, yeah, it's for real. And that's what I go to uh, work against every single week in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Um, you also have introduced a bill uh, to shift gears here into Afghanistan. Uh, and the, uh, just the, the I mean, it's just, every day it's just worse and worse news. But um, you introduced a bill to uh, award congressional gold medals to the 13 service members who were killed in that suicide attack. And forgive me, but what is the congressional gold medal? Well, it's a great way to honor those that uh, uh, that have paid the ultimate sacrifice, and that's what we intend to do. Look, this was an unforced error on the part of the Biden administration, and regardless if this was a ham-fisted approach that led to the loss of American lives, we need to honor them. And so that's what we want to do with our, the Congress's highest uh, medal uh, of honor, and uh, we need to honor them. We need to thank them. Uh, it was not a question of whether we should leave Afghanistan. It was how you do it, and you cannot mismanage something as badly as the Biden administration does. But that doesn't mean that we can't remember uh, those who had lost their lives there in these final hours. 
Yeah. Um, you also introduced House Resolution 5164, and I guess we should point out here, you're a member of the minority party, so chances are, like, stuff that you propose, like, just in general as a Republican, right, not not much of a chance of these things passing, uh, but, like, it seems like that one should. Um, do, do you have any prospects for uh, for the, the, the gold medals for that to be uh, passed and for those those to be issued? Well, Nancy, we've asked to come back to Congress to be in session. Uh, Nancy Pelosi will not bring us back until September 20th. We've, mm. uh, they want this Afghanistan uh, issue to go away. I do not believe it will, uh, as long as we have American lives on the ground over there. Uh, but, uh, look, this should not be a partisan issue. There's lots of things that have fallen into partisan lanes, and they shouldn't. They're just good for... America, they're good for our troops, uh, they're good for morale, and I don't think that should be partisan. So what about uh, Resolution 5164, prohibiting assistance to the Taliban Act? Um, This is going to make it very difficult, I think, though, to pay for all of the hostage ransoms that I expect to be coming. Yeah, my word. You know, uh, what we see here is we've yielded all of our military advantages, like Bagram, uh, before we even protected Americans and American allies. And... (laughs) If you look at the new Afghan prime minister, he's currently on the U.N.'s terrorism (laughs) watch list. And uh, another high-level Taliban minister has a $10 million U.S. bounty on his head for terrorism. And this is their new heads of state. And they've got bounties on their head. Were you surprised at the lack of women? Were you surprised that they didn't have as many women as they promised in their leadership? Uh, Yeah, insert sarcasm, (laughs) you know, right now, because, I mean, (laughs) no, I'm not surprised, but, of course, disappointed. Yeah. Um, you've also called for uh, the removal of Secretary of State Blinken, the Secretary of Defense, uh, Lloyd Austin, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley. Um, and I've heard other Republicans calling for this, too. Is there any chance that that happens? Is there uh, you mentioned Nancy Pelosi's not bringing people uh, not bringing Congress back? Uh, I think I was uh, I think it was Dan Bishop yesterday. I was talking to him. and I think he's of a mind that he believes that the reason why is that they are afraid that there might actually be some Democrats that that go along with some of these efforts to actually hold people accountable. Yeah, when you see the left-wing press and then some Democrats that are crying foul for their own party, that is, it's unfortunate that it happened, but it's a good sign that they're actually being honest. You know, when you look at Blinken, he ignored diplomatic cable warnings that the Taliban would take over. Uh, uh, Lloyd Austin, he endorsed the countdown clock for withdrawal regardless of conditions being met. And Millie, he abandoned Bagram Air Force Base before civilians were even evacuated. It's a dereliction of duty, and they need to be fired. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a, que- a question here about the Washington Post article that came out. Uh, the Democratic Party keeps uh, retweeting it and resending it to me in their newsletters for some reason. But uh, the Washington Post with this headline, Bud Tout's Agricultural Ties Omits His Role in a bankruptcy that cost farmers millions. Uh, so I'm assuming you've read the piece. It's very lengthy. It appeared in the Washington Post a couple of days ago. Um, so do you have a response to, uh, I guess, the premise here is like that uh, your family had a business, they w- it went bankrupt, and farmers got hurt. Do you have, a re- uh, uh, I guess, a comment on yeah, it's this? About three, yeah, it's about three different stories they tried to make into one. They sort of jammed it all together. First of all, what kind of Republican or conservative actually believes the Washington Post? So you can tell that they're scared of me because I've got the Trump endorsement. But this is a company I had no role with. It was a publicly traded company. 
And every member of my family was named, uh, including my daughter. I lived in Charlotte at the time, and uh, I was helping run a janitorial company. And even my six-month-old daughter at the time was named in the lawsuit. So that was just a, it was an angry trial lawyer's uh, allegations, and they're just false. Uh, but basically, the, the fake news, Washington Post, they're just trying to take me out. Uh, like all this stuff's been out there, uh, but President Trump endorsed me, and now the Washington Post, who hates Trump, is trying to take me out. Yeah. And this really gets to the, to the heart, Pete, of why regular people are sick of Washington, D.C., and why we don't have more citizen politicians. I mean, regular good people are afraid of getting slimed by the Washington swamp and by the fake news media. But I tell you what, uh, they need to be afraid of us because I plan to win this, and I'm coming to Washington. So uh, final question here. Uh, the president set to do a uh, I think the official title of the briefing is uh, the pay no attention to Afghanistan COVID briefing uh, tonight. Um, so what do you make of uh, he's got like some six bullet points or whatever. He's going to force federal workers to get vaccinated. Um, so I guess what do you think of his handling so far of the uh, of the COVID pandemic? And do you think, as I've obviously intimated my opinion, like, do you think that this is an attempted distraction? Oh, totally. This is a wag the dog, uh, pay no attention to Afghanistan speech, very well named. This is a change of topic speech. It tries to amplify and play on people's fears. Look, I mean, take this very seriously as far as as, as COVID, but uh, he just wants more mandates, more spending, more government micromanaging our life. And it's just this, more of the same coming from Biden. Yeah, he's going to have six plans, but uh, six point plan, but it's really about government taking over your life. So if you like that, this this speech should be for you, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've, I heard it's going to be robust. And that's really, that's the key. It has, has to be robust. Has he done anything robust? I mean, that would be a first. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Congressman Ted Budd, he's also a candidate for U.S. Senate. Thanks so much for your time, sir. We appreciate it. Welcome back anytime. Thank you, Pete. All right. So this is interesting. <clears throat> I did not read Seth Efron's stupidity today because it's a day that ends in Y. And um, he's the guy that the uh, left-wing millionaire owner of WRAL's parent company, Capital Broadcasting Company, the, the Goodmans, James Goodman, he hired Seth Efron to write uh the editorial positions of WRAL, which in no way reflect anything that the news department does. Although there was emails that, uh, that came to light. There were emails that came to light that show uh, there is really no wall between the two, but I digress. The point here is that WRAL has a, an editorial writer who writes things that I generally don't care about, but I find funny because they just really want you to know that they're left wing. Uh, Seth Efron used to be the comms person for former Democratic Governor Bev Perdue, as well as former Democratic Governor Mike Easley. Okay, so that's who they hired to write these daily editorials that are like, we hate Republicans that control the state legislature every single day. It's the same. uh, It's the same uh, uh, editorial. And. I was just sent a copy of today's and they identified the judge in the Leandro case. This judge, David Lee, they identified him as a Republican. And like I pulled his voter card. <laughs> That's, my wife kind of makes fun of me for that because I, 
I pull a, I pull a lot of people's voter cards, which, by the way, Ryan, you might want to go register to vote at some point now that you're a citizen of the state of North Carolina. <laughs> Just... <laughs> How did you know that? I pull everyone's voter card. Everyone's. Well, I mean, if they're going to make the information available. So, um, yeah, but you, I will say they've gotten they've gotten tighter. They tightened this up a little bit over the last, I want to say, year or so, where now, like, if you don't get that first name exactly correct, it doesn't um, it doesn't pop for you. Uh, they used to they used to be more forgiving, but now it's it, they've tightened it up a little bit, which is fine because usually I'm you know I'm, I'm looking for people like if there's uh you know I'm going to a meeting of some kind you know business meeting or something and I want to know like okay. What kind of political persuasion does this person have? You know, um, all right. I'm, you know, I'm calling an Uber. Who's coming to pick me up? Are they going to try to kill me? Like I'm going to pull their voter card, stuff like that. You know, I met somebody at the mall. They seem nice. I got their name and, you know, I pull their voter card, like, you know, the normal things. And, <laughs> and anyway, so the, is this what you do for a hobby? <laughs> I don't even have to, all I have to do is I go. And I type V. I need to give you and like- it auto completes vt.ncsb.gov slash reg lk up slash. Like it automatically defaults to the voter search. All I have to do is hit. I need v. to give you like some Netflix shows to watch or something that you could do in your free Why? time. <laughs> it takes two seconds. If you know the name, it takes two seconds. Who do you want me to check? Who do you want me to check? I'll check somebody for you. How about you- Mike Schaefer? You want me to check my boss? Yes, your boss. I doesn't he live across the border? Yeah, uh, I don't know. South Carolina's system is different. All I know is that I pulled this judge's voter card. And I understand that it was difficult because he goes by David Lee, but his name is William David Lee. And so you have to figure that out. But you can figure that out. You just figure out the W, what the W is, and then you type that in, and boom, there it is. I know you hate benchmark segments, but this seems like a new benchmark segment where each day we just look up a, <laughs> a random person's... Okay, you think... A, you think Google searching someone's exact name is going to make for good radio. Yes. You're fired. You're fired. That would be a terrible, terrible segment. But I want to know, and look, maybe I completely got the wrong person. That's possible. I, I'm a human being. I make mistakes. I will I will sit corrected if that's not true. But WRAL has identified this guy as a Republican, like like Senator Berger. And he's not. So maybe WRAL needs to make a bit of a correction. By the way, this is where you, um, this is where you find out the credibility of a news person or organization. Do they issue corrections when they are wrong, and how do they do them? That really is where the rubber hits the road because everybody's going to make a mistake at some point, except producer Ron. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. A reminder, all this month, September is Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month. And so if you uh, are thinking about donating blood, think about doing it on September 30th, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. It's going to be the Community Matters Cafe, the second annual WBT Little Heroes Blood Drive. Come on by. Uh, We'll have the One Blood Big Red Bus at the Community Matters Cafe, accepting donations of blood and platelets. 
and it all goes to help kids who are fighting childhood cancers. Um, and also while you're there, you can uh, you know pick up some food or a cup of coffee at the Community Matters Cafe, and that, of course, supports the work of the Charlotte Rescue Mission, a great organization. So come on down. It's the second annual WBT Little Heroes Blood Drive, Thursday, September 30th, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Go to uh, wbt.com forward slash events for more details. Dean, welcome to the program. How are you? Good. Hey, you were talking about the voucher system. Indeed. And I just wanted to get my comments in because I think that is the quickest way to, if you want to accelerate the decay of education, go to the voucher system. Yeah, I, well, yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah, if you want to decay, you say if you want to decay the public education system is to go to vouchers? No, to decay education. Oh, the, just education. The, you think vouchers, you think giving people choice destroys education? Yeah. Well, you know, it isn't the choice. It's the quality. I mean, education is about being educated. And I don't see where the voucher system is just like, unless you're a real proponent of capitalism. I am. I, I just don't see the benefits of, of the voucher. You're, you're out to educate people. Yeah. And vouchers are going to be like, who can pay the most will get the education. No. It'll do nothing but but separate no. them uh, of the elitists from the masses. No. And that's not what education is for. No, right. Well, so first off, um, do you ignore all of the, the outcomes in current K-12 education? Are you ignoring well, the, the poor? Are you, are you aware of how many kids are not reading at grade level by grade three? Yes. Okay, so would you say that that's a system that's working? Hello? Yeah, uh, yes. I can hear you. Would you say that that's a system that's working? Lost you there. Hello? Hello? Oh, you can't hear me now? Hello? Oh, Dean, you really, you can't, you can't hear me now? <laughs> Hello, Dean? Yeah, I don't know what's going Hello? on. Hello? Yeah, I can hear you, Dean. I, I'm concerned he's going to curse or something. Uh, let me see if I bring him back. Will that matter? Hello, uh, Dean, you're back now. Can you hear me? No, he's still, he's still, yeah, his his cell dropped out, so we'll give him a second here to kind of turn on his radio and hear the response. I did not hang up on you, Dean. I don't know what was going on. You apparently, could, like, I could hear you. You could not hear me after you got your comments in. <laughs> and then as I proceeded to ask you questions, and the, the first question is, you're aware of, like, two, was it two-thirds of kids not reading at grade level after last year. Oh, but it was a pandemic. I understand that. Doesn't mean that those kids are any better educated because of it, right? The amount of learning loss that has occurred um, has been has been awful. I mean, it is a it is an, a massive a massive problem. So, oh, is it, this is him? He's back. Okay, Dean, you're back. Can you hear me now? Yes, yes, all right, I'm good. sorry. All right, no, it's all right. Um, so I was just worried you were going to curse or something, and then it would go out over the air. So um, because I could no, hear you. No, and I thought you hung up on me. No, so no. Or even, I guess. No, there you go. So um, so you're aware of how poorly the K-12 government-run model right now is working for kids, right? Well, yeah, but you're, you're not comparing apples to apples. You're saying, you know, would you rather be in a limousine being driven somewhere or taking the public transportation? I'm not saying I that mean, at you all. know, there's... They're, it's not the same comparison. I'm not saying that. Of course, that. you're going to get a better education if you pay for it. Well, uh, well, wait, we, but we are paying for it. 
Well, well I, I know, but if you allow capitalism to discriminate between who can get a good education and who can't, then... We discriminate it, right now. Gonna... That people are being discriminated against right now. Uh, oh, I wasn't fighting for the public education as it being is right now, but I'm just Okay, so how that... would you like it changed? Well... <laughs> I, you know, how can I change it when it's been like this for decades? But the we could do vouchers. There's my suggestion. So, all right. So, so, to, so I just want to recap now, Dean, that you're saying I can't, I can't uh, be possibly for vouchers because that's just pure capitalism and that's going to be terrible. But you think that the K-12 model right now isn't so great. You want to change it. But when I say, yeah, let's do vouchers, you say, no, we can't do that. But then you offer nothing to change it. You you offer no solution. So what? How, how am I left now to engage in a discussion with you? It's like punching smoke, right? Like I, I, you're not you're not advancing any kind of a, a ball here. The only thing you're saying is you don't like vouchers because capitalism. That's essentially your no. argument. No, I'm, I'm trying to discuss the destination. And just as, uh, you know, you purported the, the voucher system as a way to raise the level of education, I'm saying that a better managed public education thing is a way to impact the greater. If if you're looking at education to educate people, mm-hmm. you know if you're, I, I, if and you're I smart am. and what I am, and, and you know, okay, and you know you're smart. Well, you know, you're, you're going to. There's going to be achievers. It's it's to it's to somehow public education is to get to the masses, and I, I just don't see where. So why do you think? Why do you think? that a uh, a K-12 model that uh, essentially creates a uniform standard across the entire state, you know, 10 million people, right? Why do you think creating a uniform type of a system is the best way to achieve individual results? I, I can, I, all I can say is that that's, isn't that the argument with what colleges are for? Don't no. you want to give people a basic education? Then if they want to take it to the next level, we're not even they doing that. College. No, but no, no, no. So two things. First off, no, to answer your question, that's not what colleges are for. Uh, and it doesn't address my question to you. And secondly, um, they're not even doing the thing that you just purported that they should be doing. They're not even doing that. They're not even preparing the, pe- the kids for college. Colleges are having to run all of the kids through another you know, first year of remediation because the K-12 schools aren't doing it. So that's not working either. So, again, you have a standardized system that's essentially uh, creating one uh, one system for all kids. And you're expecting somehow like individualized outcomes. And that's just not what that system is built for. That's why, like, in every—think about this. In every other sector of the economy, every other industry, everything else, we we expect more choice, better quality, more choice. Everywhere else, Medicare already runs a voucherized system. You get to pick your doctor. Are you telling me that your doctor's terrible because they take Medicare? I don't buy the argument. I don't buy the argument, and you were not persuasive, but I'm open to be persuaded. Dean, you want to call back some other time, and we'll continue it? Absolutely. I appreciate the call. Good discussion, and I appreciate Boomer Von Cannon. He's going to discuss traffic right now. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. It's the Pete Callender Show. Only a few more minutes left before Brett Winterbull takes over. Just a couple of points. I was going to get to uh, this other story. I'll get to it tomorrow on the, uh, the state Supreme Court. Uh, that's looking to 
forcibly remove two Republicans off of the court on a on, on one case so they can get their way. But I'll get to that tomorrow um, because there are some points here that I, I feel like I need to spend some time addressing from Dane's call. Uh, if you're going to argue that education is like just too important to be left to capitalism. And and by the way, yes, like fully admit, I acknowledge free market capitalist right here. Absolutely. I mean, I'm guilty as charged. Nailed it, Dean. I am definitely, I believe that for virtually all things, the free market, which is basically us, you, me, making individual decisions about what to buy at any given time, um, that it, we are a better source of information and we are better deciders of what is best for us generally speaking invert that's my default position unless and again if you want to try to persuade me have at it but i was not persuaded by anything dean said he he, he posed a lot of questions and so i feel like and i think he was doing it sort of as as a rhetorical device in, in debate so let me just run through a couple of things if you believe that education is too important to be left up to the free market well then why not food do you think that's as important or more important than education? How about housing? How about clothing? Are these things less important? We allow the free market to dictate that and look at what we got, right? We have, we, we have an obesity epidemic, right? We have, uh, we, we have housing problems, obviously, because of, well, lots of uh, pent-up uh, demand, not enough supply. Thank you, government. But there are voucherized programs for that, too. There are voucherized program uh, programs for food. The clothing, you can go down to the store and get like a pack of T-shirts for like 10 bucks. Sorry, now after Biden, it's about 15 bucks, right? But also, he, he said, well, you're just going to end up with like rich people, you know, the system of the like elites. Like uh, Newsflash, they already have that. Rich people are already sending their kids to rich people's schools, right? They're already going to private school. Why would a, why would a voucherized system change any of that? All of a sudden, the rich people are going to be like, oh, darn it. <laughs> I was sending my kid to this public school, but now I can't. So I guess I'm going to have to send them to the private school that I was already sending them to. I, I don't understand that argument. Rich people are already opting out. They're already out of the system. So... Who are we talking about? We're talking about middle class people and we're talking about lower income people, right? Middle class and poor people. That's who we're talking about. Okay, so who benefits? This actually gets to a, uh, an argument that Milton Friedman used to make, the Nobel Prize winning uh, economist, um, that most government programs that he has identified, the only one, the only exception being food stamps, every other government program that he has identified is essentially a program for the middle class. He makes a very he made a very compelling argument uh, to that effect, because the middle class administers the programs. You see, the middle class they're the ones who are employed in the K twelve education bureaucracy. Education system K twelve education is it is a behemoth of an industry in America, and then you get all the cottage industries associated with it, right? Uh, so. There are a lot of middle-class people making a good living with the K-12 government system. So I understand there's a built-in constituency there. They're not going to like the idea of having their entire system upended. I get that. 
But why do we assume that rich parents uh, would go off and create some sort of parallel system but for the existence of the K-12 system now? Like, that's the only reason they haven't done it, which they already actually have done, right? So I don't buy that argument. So now you're talking middle class and, and poor people. So to give them a voucher so they could go to a better school, that's a problem? So because here's the other thing that you get the vouchers. Now, maybe you can use those towards a better school, maybe one of those rich people's schools, because they do, in fact, have scholarships that they offer for kids from lower socioeconomic strata. But also, maybe you end up with uh, schools that open up that cater to low income, middle income people because the voucher dollars allow them to do so. And maybe you end up with schools that want to focus on certain things. Like, I chose a school. I went to Winthrop University, and I chose a school that at the time was very small and did not have a big football program. They didn't. We didn't. In fact, the year after I graduated was when they finally went to the NCAA <laughs> tournament. Like, that's when they finally got a team that was good. And then, of course, Greg Marshall left almost immediately after that. But anyway, not that I'm bitter too much. But anyway, the uh, point here is that I had the option. I got to pick to go to what college. Like, why... If the system works for our higher education, why is there this assumption that it wouldn't work for, dare I call it, lower education? How, how do you square that? But here's the biggest thing for me when it comes to the, the voucher opponents. Why do you assume that parents cannot decide what school to send their kid to? Do you think that they don't know how to pick a school? So therefore we should just like, okay, you're, we should just assume that you're too stupid to know where to send your kid, so we'll just build a school near your neighborhood, and you just send your kid there. And we'll totally educate them. But you're too stupid to pick. But I'm sure you'll be totally smart enough to know if we're not doing our job. It's an incredibly patronizing attitude to take towards people. Now, it's unspoken, granted, and I don't think many people who hold the uh, position opposing vouchers. I don't think that they, I don't think they consciously adopt these positions and say these things to themselves. But that is, in essence, what you are saying, because I, I believe that parents are going to make the best decisions for their kids. In general, does that mean some parents won't? Of course, some parents won't. It's the bell curve. You're going to have parents that don't care. Absolutely. And so, much like food stamps or Section 8 housing or whatever, you have a safety net. You can still do government schools. You can still do that for all the government school lovers. Like, I can't imagine a world without government-run education. Like, you can have some schools. And if they're terrible, nobody will go to them. But if they're good, people will want to go to them. And you can have a safety net program. But don't tell me that one universal standardized system for everybody is going to be the best way to educate every single individual kid. It's not designed to do that at all. We accept choice and demand it and everything else. Why not education? All right. I know you got a lot of choices, so I appreciate you hanging out with me today. And uh, Brett Winterbull coming up next on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. I'll catch you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.